idea. I don't care. This is the type of shit I'm talking about. Fucking two hours later, we haven't even started. Stupid fucking thing. Piss well, me off. On that note, I think I think we should jump into it. So let's do this. This is okay. the Hurt Take, episode two. Mitch Bayless, Bree Stobe again. Welcome to the show, Mitch. It's our second week. We made it. We made it, my man. We made it. We're back for some more excitement. It's awesome. I don't know. With all the cursing in that little intro there, maybe the censors uh, will shut us down before week three. We'll see. It's possible. Sometimes I get a little mad, especially <laughs> when it comes to the technologies. My Skype is not my friend today, so sorry about that. That's okay. And apparently neither is uh, Tyron Woodley or Stephen Thompson because they tried to put everybody to sleep, apparently, according to most people. But we'll talk about that. So this is the Hurt Take. This is your show. A couple fans talking about the sport that they love. To our fans. Boy, oh boy, it was a, kind of a big weekend, Mitch. Uh, UFC 209 in Las Vegas. Gosh, the thing about the UFC, man, they just... Even when stuff doesn't happen, it's like bad things happening is part of the story. So... The big story, at least the biggest story for me other than the title fight, was that Khabib Nurmagomedov didn't even make it to the weigh-in. He had to go to the hospital trying to cut weight, and his fight with Tony Ferguson called off. Never ended up happening. Mitch, what the shit is that all about? Well, I guess I got to take a little bit of the blame. I jinxed it a bit last week. I, you know, had to had to mention that there was still five days to go until this fight actually got underway. So I'll take a bit of the blame on this one. But I think it's just more of the same with Team Khabib. What do you do? Here's a guy that's fought, what, once in three years now uh, for various reasons, had multiple injuries. I get the fact that the sport's tough and you're going to get hurt. Uh, but at the end of the day, there's something about, you know, a guy who can make it to the cage and a guy who can't. And he's just got a real bad run of luck. So, yeah, um, yeah. yeah what, do you, what do you say? <laughs> here's a, here's a cross-sport reference, Mitch. You, you have long argued in favor that Emmett Smith is the greatest running back of all time. Am I right? Absolutely, yep. And one of the reasons would be durability. Long <laughs> durability and longevity yeah they're a factor when you when you're determining the all-time greats in my opinion you've got to be able to do it for a stretch of time <laughs> right. so as great as Khabib is as a grappler in the cage and all that stuff he sim- it's it's true he simply he can't make it to the cage apparently on a consistent enough basis so even if he gets a, a, a shot at the title even if he wins it I mean he's not really at this stage where he can establish any kind of legacy. I mean, we can't really rely on him, you know, being this great lightweight, you know, guy. He's to me, it's, 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 he's, he's, he's sullying what potential legacy he could have. He's just not making it to the cage. And the interesting thing about this is that Dana White came out and said that Habib's team could have saved the fight had they called the UFC's doctor instead of going straight to the hospital. So, like, what do you what do you make of that? I find that's kind of interesting because, I mean, there's a lot to that, right? We're finding fighters are not trustful of the UFC more and more and more. So when Dana says these kinds of things, you kind of have to take it with a grain of salt. Like, yeah, okay, really, like, they're going to pick up the phone and they're going to call you instead of taking care of their boy. What do you, like, what do you think of that? That one's tough. I, I don't agree with Dana White very often, I must say, but this is one case where um, I, I think what he was trying to say, and maybe I'm reading between the lines a bit, but when you look at things like USADA and this, you know, the testing and stuff that they have in place, if you're just going to go to the ER uh, and not be consulting doctors that work for the organization that's ultimately going to you know, allow you to get into that cage one way or the other... I think that's a bit of a miss. I know they were probably more worried about health at that point, just thinking, hey, we got to get this fixed. Um, but I know if I have access to some million-dollar private doctors or I've got access to an ER room in Las Vegas, I would probably be going with the private doctors. But that's just me. I, I understand the non-trust factor. Um, but I just think in this case, especially when you start talking about IVs and things like that that are used to uh, potentially offset some of this stuff from weight cutting, 
you automatically aren't going to be able to fight under your side of rules unless you're consulting with them throughout the whole process. So he did eliminate the ability to be able to consult with them, which essentially he just, he guaranteed himself not to be able to fight. I wonder if he would have made the fight one way or the other. Uh, and that's kind of where I think Dana is going to blow a bit of smoke on that sense and say, you could have saved the card and whatever just makes them look better in the end. But where, you know, why not make that phone call other than they seem to kind of run their own world. Those, those Ruskies, <laughs> <laughs> the Ruskies never been yeah. able to trust them. <laughs> I just mean, yeah. When you get your dad as a head coach, you listen to him, he's coming out talking about your retirement, the week of your the biggest fight of your life. It just seems like they kind of march their own beat at the best of times. So uh, it'll be interesting. I don't know if you're the UFC, what, what kind of trust do you have in these guys nowadays? Where, where do you go with them? I don't know what risk you'd be willing to take if you're anyone involved with, with paying this guy nowadays. Yeah. I find this really interesting because at the end of the day, the story is all going to be about Habib, right? He's missed. He's screwed up. He th- Tony Ferguson. It's like, Every time I watch this guy fight, every time he shows up to a press conference, I think he should be talked about way more than he gets attention. Like, this is this is so disappointing for him. I, I just can't imagine what must be going through his head. Can the guy get a little bit of luck? Can he get a title shot? Can he get something? You know, he's he's earned it. And he's he just keeps seemingly hitting these walls. Guys getting hurt. The UFC skipping him over in favor of other fighters. McGregor basically evacuating the division. Where does he go from here? I kind of feel bad for him, really. And, you know, that's hard for me to say because I thought that, you know, the the, the very little I've seen of him not in, like, these formal press conferences so-and-so was on tough. And on tough, he had these drunken, crazy, like, he was just a total pain in the ass. But I got to say, I feel for the guy. Yeah, how can you not? I mean, I, you're going way back with the tough uh, oh, references yeah. there. I but I, the, I, I watched it again the other day, and he was like calling out this one fighter who had, you know, who was fighting for custody of his child, and Ferguson's drunk. You know, clearly okay, okay. he's got so, that. Sorry, okay. What? Well, I, I got to cut you off. You watched you watched the show twice that probably shouldn't have been watched once. I think that's you're really only to blame on that one. I can't I can't say much about it. You shouldn't be watching the show to begin with, but. If you're going to watch tough, uh, it's probably going to give you a pretty skewed view I, of what I fighters did. are actually like, especially before research. they're actually in the UFC. <laughs> it was for no, research, I, Mitch. I was just going because I remembered seeing that episode. It was like the one season of tough I watched. And I remember he was just saying some stuff where I was like, what is wrong with this guy? Well, yeah, fair enough. I, I think if we look at the nuts and bolts, he's won nine straight fights. Uh, this is the third time they've tried to make this fight happen. You think where would this guy's career be if he'd fought any one of those fights? Obviously, if he wins and does so in spectacular fashion, you're going to have, you know, who knows what his trajectory looks like. Could he have fought McGregor before McGregor left for boxing? Could he have had this opportunity, that opportunity? The guy's well-spoken. We said it last week. He's, he's great on a mic. Everything he does in the cage seems to lead to victory of late. And this was supposed to be his big jumping off point, his big test. Uh, and now he just can't get this guy to the cage. So I don't know what you're supposed to do. And to be fair, I mean, he he also had to fall out of one of these fights. It's not like it's always Khabib, but, um, you know, at the same time, I don't know what they do because now he hasn't he hasn't fought since last November. He's in a spot where the last guy he beat was Rafael Desanos, who's, you know, disappeared from the division as well. What do you do with this guy? I think he's got to have a tune-up fight now, doesn't he? He turns down a, a last-second fight with Michael Johnson because they want him to take a pay cut. After everything he's done, they make they make the poor guy take a pay cut on last minute's notice. I don't, I don't know. I, you know, that doesn't make me think they're going to turn right around and give him a title shot now. But at the same time, you got to think what you know. What do they do with this guy? Does he? Does he? I don't even know. I'm I'm lost to be honest with you. Does he fight Eddie Alvarez? What do you What do you do with it? I'm not sure. Well, I think that's the point. I like applies to the next subject that I want to talk about. What do you do with this guy? Is kind of exactly what i would ask about one sugar rashad evans oh man mitch like oh man that was as a guy who always liked rashad and and you know during his heyday he was so exciting and he was this sort of he felt like a new breed of fighter man he has hit the skids i read a stat that said he hasn't the last win he's had 
against an active UFC fighter was Michael Bisbing in 2007. What? What? And this against Dan Kelly, I mean, that's the, that is the definition of a let's see where you're at fight. And we found out we, we apparently, we don't know where he's at. Apparently worse than Dan Kelly, which is a terrible position to be in. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I left that fight thinking, Hey, Dan Kelly looks pretty good. But (laughs) at the same time, if you're, if you're the UFC or anyone involved with Rashad Evans right now, what do you do? His, his, it sounds like his gym's all but fallen apart. Mm. He was trying out a new weight division here. Looked pretty much the same as the last fight against Glover, you know, a little slow to get off a little slow to get get started and Dan Kelly just forced the pace. And if Dan Kelly's doing that to you, you're going to wonder, you know, who, where, what is the matchup for Rashad at this point? Um, he's obviously got, you know, had some health problems recently. You see all this stuff. You really just hope, you know, someone's there helping him make this decision and not kind of pushing him back into something he doesn't need to be involved with. I think uh, it sounded to me like he had plans of, you know, potentially coaching with the black Zillions, And now that gym doesn't even exist anymore. So, does he have that transition out of fighting? Is he going to try to fight one, one, two more times? Where does this leave him? We don't even know. Um, yeah, it's crazy. Looking things up, I mean, the last victory he had, 2013, mm-hmm. against Mr. Shale Sonnen. So, you know, and, and victory before that, Dan Henderson. So you got to go back four years. You're fighting two guys who are no longer in the UFC for your wins, and since then you've lost to a mixed bag. You've lost Ryan Bader, you've lost to Glover, and you've lost to Daniel Kelly. So uh, to me, it's it's more, you know, can he get medically cleared to fight? This time he did. There's a lot of risk there. So um, there's a, definitely a part of me that'd like to see him just kind of hang it up, but you wonder if, if he can do that on a fight like this. Also a really interesting aspect is I don't know how many fights he's got left on his current contract, but is he a guy who they they if they let him walk or they or they cut him and does he go to Bellator if he's not going to retire does he does he go to Bellator and does Bellator take him I, I would assume that they would that I mean that's one more name one more piece that Bellator can put to good use whether he produces or not it just my question is he even a UFC fighter anymore period whether that's retiring whether that's just being on the roster whether he's who could they put him up against that would be interesting i don't he just doesn't seem like he has ufc written on him anymore it's it's worn off so yeah yeah i'd have to agree with you and there's i mean there's a few more on the card that were pretty much similar to that too and i you know you look at that mark hunt and and overeem fight and you kind of left in the same boat what do you do with both of those guys now so i'll ask you that what did you think of that fight and where do you think both of those guys are headed now well, I think I could say that I don't think Mark Hutt is finished. He's one of those guys where it's he's it's like he's got the Dan Kelly thing, except that he has that power and he has that ability to end fights still at his age, even with the, the dad bod looking thing going on. So I would say that he even losing half of his fights, Mark Hunt's the kind of guy who's probably gonna stick around. It's gonna be it's gonna take him getting knocked completely silly three or four fights in a row before we start asking ourselves whether he's whether he's done or not because he has he has gone through that before and then he made that comeback and made a title run and looked amazing i think that uh i think that he'll stick around i know i like watching him fight my biggest question is whether he wants to stick around in the ufc i would assume that once his contract's up he's going to get out considering he feels forced to fight he has no choice he's keep he's arguing that he has to keep getting put against guys who are steroid abusers and you know Alistair Overeem a guy who has a history of that just you know knocked him out cold so that was an interesting fight I gotta say I was impressed with Reem I mean I'm always impressed with Overeem even when he loses because he's just god he has such vicious vicious kickboxing his knees are just so beautiful you know but he's such a bum like the th- the way he talks and the, his interviews and stuff it's like the guy has never thought a single bad thing about himself 
And so, so he, he's great TV. You put him in, he's the immediate villain. You know, I think he gets one more win, and he get he probably gets another title shot the way the heavyweight division works. I don't know. What do you think? Do you think they give him a contender? Do you, they think they give him, you know, the winner of, uh, of uh, wait, no, who would he get the winner? Dos Santos is getting the next title shot, right? I was about to say. Yeah, well, and that's what I was going to say. You asked me what I think will happen, and I, I think it is obviously very dependent on what happens in that fight. Him and JDS had a long-running uh, feud going on online. They were talking a lot of crap. You know, they've fought. They, you've got uh, Stipe. He's obviously fought before as well. So I think the way that division's looking, they might just hold on to him, and he might be the next challenger in that heavyweight division. Um, I think we'll have to see what happens. Velasquez is having surgery yet again. We're kind of seeing the same old story there. So I think who, where else would you go if not to Overeem? So couldn't agree more in the sense of, you know, do I want to see him do it? Is he great on a mic? Is he, you know, is he any of those things that you'd like to see? Probably not. But at the same time, cool. hey, he's and, winning. And now the other thing about Reem is, and in the heavyweight division in general, is he almost finished Stipe in that title fight. So that's, you know, the UFC, that's an easy sell for them. You can hear Joe Rogan going, and he nearly got the bell. And you're like, oh, selling point for me, right? Like, it was close. He, you know, one more win. He gets another title shot because, hey, he almost won it last time. That's it. That's a classic UFC promo piece. Absolutely. And I think, you know, in a weird way, you know, Mark Hunt's having this whole, you know, the, the lawsuit and all this stuff you mentioned. It kind of felt like he was being, you know, set up or sent to the sheep on this fight a little bit. Uh, with Overeem having that history with both guys, it seems like he's, you know, kind of a natural for who the UFC was hoping would win that fight. And then, like you say, it doesn't really matter how this the heavyweight championship, you know, works out. They've got a perfect matchup either way with Overeem. So I'd be shocked to see them set, you know, have him lined up against someone else before we see who wins that heavyweight fight. So, yeah. Now, something I was very shocked by. I have been a... Now, for any of our a friend of our listeners who don't know about Mirsad Bektic, this oh, God, guy yeah. <laughs> was one of the hottest prospects in the UFC for the last couple of years, for the last two and a half, three years. Okay, he was one of these guys who it, everyone was kind of saying, "This guy's unbelievable. He's going to make a title run at some point. He's the future of the division." So on and so forth. And I bought into the hype every time I saw him fight. He would bloody guys up. His grappling was insane. He's an advanced version of GSP. He could just sit in a guy's guard and pummel dudes. And so he comes up against Darren Eakin, and I think, oh, yeah, perfect. Tune-up fight. Give him, you know, he comes in here, looks good, and then takes the jump to a top 10 dude. Oh, my freaking – it must have been the blue hair or something because he just screwed the pooch. I I was – I had people, I had a buddies of mine texting me, giving me a hard time because I put my reputation on the line, Mitch, talking this guy <laughs> up. And he goes out and he does that. <laughs> oh, I know. Uh, I, I've been hearing about this guy for, I don't even know how long from Reese. This is, this is definitely one of Reese's boys for sure. So um, I, I guess I'll throw it back to you. What do you think happens? I mean, by all intents and purposes, he was, he was pounding this guy. This was a fight he should have won. He almost had in the bag and then, you know, bit of a lucky head kick, whatever word you want to use for it, freak occurrence, and now he's lost. So where does that leave him? What's What do you think they're going to do with him next? <laughs> so the funny thing about everyone always cites the same thing every time a hot prospect loses on the rise up. They always go, hey, the great ones had to lose at some point to learn their lessons. GSP lost and blow. I'm like, no, wait. GSP lost, like, against top level competition that was that was his quote lesson you know he was the champ and he lost to matt sarah and all these things that's that's not the same thing mirsad bekdich is supposed to be this amazing fighter and he goes out and he loses to darren eakin a guy he should have beat and was pummeling conor mcgregor didn't go out and and blow it against a guy like that he had the hype and he went and he lived up to the hype he plastered dudes one right after the other like that, and and we see who he is now. I always, when a big prospect loses a fight like this, my first thought isn't, oh, he had to lose to learn his lesson. My first thought is, this guy's not for real. Wow, just like that. 
You, you're I'm divorcing saying, yourself from your boy just like that, eh? I'm, I'm, what I'm saying, Mitch, is I'm going to take a heavy dose of skepticism into his next fight, and he better not dye his stupid hair blue because that was ridiculous, and he better have had a good reason for doing that. Wow, wow. Next you'll be telling me what kind of shorts he was wearing. <laughs> Oof. I tell you. All right. Well, yeah, and I, I was going to say the same thing. I, you know, it all comes down to his next fight to me, so uh, it'll definitely be one to watch, and I think it's something you'll see kind of buried down a little bit on the undercard probably, but it'll be one of those fights that, you know, you'll be paying special attention to. <laughs> all right. Well, all right, Mitch, I think we're going to take a break here for a little promo, and then we're going to jump into the main talking point from UC 209. Hey everyone, it's Reese talking. I just want to take a moment to plug a couple of our other podcasts. First one is the Sound and Groove podcast, hosted by Evan. He breaks down the world of music, teaches you a little bit about the history of music. The guy has an encyclopedic knowledge, so I'm sure you'll learn a thing or two. The other podcast is On to Mike with Mace and Rice. That's hosted by CFL veteran Corey Mace, along with this beautiful guy right here. We talk about a few more of the gossipy stories in sports, off-the-cuff stuff, really fun, really funny. So we hope you tune in to either one of those shows. We hope you enjoy them. And now I will send you back to the show. Okay, so we're back. And we're going to talk about the thing that everybody wants to talk about. Or not, I guess. Maybe no one wants to talk about it, considering what most people seem to be saying. The headliner from UFC 209, Stephen Wonderboy Thompson against the welterweight champion of the world, Tyron, the chosen one, Woodley. A lot of people are saying this was a snooze fest, Mitch. I don't know. What do you think? I think you and I were both on the same page. We were texting back and forth, and you and I found this quite to be an interesting fight, but we are in the vast minority on this, apparently. Are we right or are we wrong, Mitch? Or is it somewhere in between? Uh, it's probably somewhere in between, but I think we were you know, pretty spot on with our predictions for how the fight might go. Um, I think this fight felt a lot like the first fight in the sense that I spent five rounds thinking this thing's going to end any second. They're about to engage any second. Here we go now. So it was, it was one of these fights where you're on the edge of your seat, but not necessarily for any reason. There wasn't necessarily action. It was more the anticipation of what might come. So I think one of the best quotes I saw after this fight was that Thompson looked like a video game character whose buttons kept getting stuck when it was time to strike. Uh, and, you know, listening to Tyrone Woodley after the fight, and he was doing some interviews today even, he seems to kind of have the mindset that he was the champion and, Thompson needed to come to him and take it. And it's something I've always said about champions. It's very true. You're not going to win a decision against a champion if it's at all close. Uh, and it's really, it's your job to go and take that thing. So you don't get to dictate the style of the fight. And it seemed like, you know, I don't think you have to be a rocket science scientist to know what was going on. They were both waiting. They both wanted the other guy to engage. They were both looking to counter. Uh, only that I think Woodley is able to do that. Uh, Woodley is in in the right, in my mind, to sit for almost 10 rounds and wait for this guy to come to him because he's already got the glory. He's got the gold. He's got everything he needs. Um, Wonder boys got to go and take it. And he didn't, he got two chances. Uh, if before that, it was how long were we hearing? He deserved a title shot. He should have got the title shot, blah, blah, blah. Now the guy gets 10 rounds in with the champion and decides, Hey, I'm going to wait for him to come to me. Gets out pointed. Looked like he wanted to have a point karate fight with a guy who was never going to do that. And there you go. I don't know what else to say, really. I was I was kind of disappointed. Uh, and at the same time, you know, I don't think it was as bad a fight as people thought. I think you're going to see that stalemate type uh, fight anytime you get some of the, the, the elites. Why are either of these guys going to risk their lives, um, risk their health to do something stupid in a fight? I think you're generally going to see a pretty even match. But um, at the same time, it would have been nice to see him do a little bit more, especially late in that fight. You could tell he thought he had the first three rounds won. Um, and that was a little bit disappointing that he didn't have a bit more killer instinct there. So, um, but yeah, what did you see? Were you seeing kind of the same? I know you like, you tend to like the matchups and the styles and, and the technical side of things. So what did you see? Well, Mitch, I, I, I totally agree with you on, in the sense that if I'm Tyron Woodley, Stevie Wonderboy Thompson's got to come, he's got to play my game. He wants my belt. He's got to come play my game. He's got to take it from me. I think the amazing thing about that is that it, it, 
it coincides perfectly with how Tyrone Woodley fights and his style. He, this is, dude is, you just look at him. He is a yoked up guy. Like he, he will use up, if he goes out there and he's on the offensive constantly, he's going to tire himself out really fast because he's got so much muscle mass. So for him, the best strategy is to lay back, wait on guys and counter with that big right hand. Guys are afraid to lead against him because he's such a good wrestler. So why would you ever want to really take the fight to them? Not to mention that he's not exactly a complex striker on the feet. He doesn't go out there and try and put together volume and combos like that. So why, why would he go out there and just push the pace? Especially when Stephen Thompson thrives in that situation too. You know, so what is he going to do? He's going to just go out there and wingmill haymakers every opportunity he can and just try and put, no way, no way. He's going to sit back and he's going to do what he did, back against the cage, force Stephen Thompson to have to try and do something. And the funny thing about this is everyone's trying to act like Stephen Thompson was robbed, like he was controlling the, Tyron Woodley landed more significant strikes in that fight than Stephen Thompson did. He landed, he had the only takedown. And he had the only opportunity to finish the fight. And those two things came in separate rounds. So how, how, am, you know, how am I going to say Stephen Thompson won that fight? He didn't even land more. And when he landed, it was probing. It was, they weren't big shots. Woodley was throwing hard when he threw. So I think a lot of people are not giving Tyron Woodley enough credit for this. I think he did the, exactly the right thing he should have done. And I agree with you. To me... The tension was in the anticipation that this could end at any moment. The tension was that it's like these two guys are so matched up. They're so zoned in that it's like they're not – they're trying to probe and do what they're – but they don't want to give up too much because so much was on the line. I loved the fight. I loved it. I mean, yeah, it wasn't entertaining per se, but entertainment is a, a subjective thing. Yeah, obviously. And you, you, I mean, you heard it, the boo birds were out. Everybody wants to see the, the spinning wheel kick or some magic thing that's going to end that fight, the big right hand. I, To be honest, I, we talked about it last week. I think a lot of people were hoping Wonder Boy won. I think a lot of people hold Woodley kind of responsible for not playing into that game where he's allowing himself to be set up for some of these finishes. And I mean, you heard it going into the fight. You heard it after the fight. Woodley said the same things. So if you look at when Thompson wins, he wins when his opponent decides, okay, well, you know, I can't just stand here all night. I got to go in there. And then the second they go in, ping, he's waiting. And you could see him. He, I don't think I've ever seen him be as predictable as he was in this fight. He was waiting on that right-hand hook. He was just sitting there waiting to counter that right power hand. He was, it was almost like he kept his hands low. He was baiting Woodley to throw that. And you could tell he thought he could finish him coming in. And it was almost like that was really the only strategy he had, or he was really dependent on that strategy. So uh, it was very interesting. And then especially when it looked like he thought he got up on points early and then maybe, and again, I don't know why you would ever try to go to the judges who and take a belt from someone, but mm-hmm. um, it just, it just seemed like, especially with that matchup, uh, that's all Woodley could do. And I, I think the people that were booing or the, you know, and the people that were sad about it are the people that wanted to see, like I say, that spinning wheel kick, something like that. Uh, but you know, what do you do now? It's interesting because you Woodley's now kind of beaten the who's who he's beaten everybody. This was the guy kind of everyone's held up there. Um, and so now we'll see what happens in that division. So, and but yeah, I, <laughs> here's the worst part about that, Mitch. Who's the, who's the number one guy right now? Who would you put in <laughs> against him? <laughs> Damian Maya. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, we talked about this last week. I think there's no coincidence that Robbie Lawler's starting to peek his head back out now again. And, I think it's something where, you know, I could see Woodley waiting a while, to be honest. Where, like, it's Damian Maya is not going to be a great matchup. He's booked to fight in a couple of months here. So there's obviously a natural wait that's going to happen. And I think you're going to see kind of maybe, maybe a Wonder Boy Lawler fight or something in between and kind of let these guys jockey a little bit. It's no secret, you know, Woodley's not getting along with the UFC. They're still taking shots at each other after this fight. Right. Um, so I think it might be a little while before you see him back in there and, and, Maybe the landscape will change slightly. Dare we say GSP's name? Who knows? There's all sorts of options out there. So, yeah, I gotta say I was real disappointed with the reaction to this fight because, you know, I just I just think that listen on a, on a certain level, we fans we expect we think we're like these guys are fighters. Yeah, but they're not street fighters. 
They're MMA fighters. They're not going to go in there and do what you or I or the, the juice monkey down the street who has a few too many rum and cokes at the bar is going to do when a fight starts. They're not gonna, he's not going to do something stupid. They're thinking this through. He's not going to go out and do what's dumb. But what's dumb is what entertains. And so apparently, you know, he's, he's a smart fighter. And that's bad. Yeah, well, and it, mostly, I mean, we've been there. We've been the fans. You shell out that money, you get to the fight. You, you know, by the time you get to the actual event, half the fights that are supposed to happen aren't even happening. These guys just found out about Khabib the night before, so they're already showing up pissed off. They're coming to this. That was, you know, that was the people's fight. That was the big fight that I think there was the most anticipation for, even though it wasn't the championship fight, it wasn't the main card, or it wasn't the headliner, sorry. Um, it grew. They did a crazy job selling that fight. There was a lot of pub on that. So I think people kind of came in disappointed already and you saw that. Um, but you're always going to see the boo birds. That's not really um, people think these guys should just go at each other like crazy men. And we know that's not going to be the case. Um, I think Woodley said it best. You know, you don't see you, you see a gold gold medal Olympic fight happen wrestling match. It's very tight. It ends up coming down to a, a tiny little technical point here or there. It's never going to be 15 zero or something crazy for a gold medal. This is the same case here. You've got a championship fight. Too much, too, too heavy risk. No, not enough reward for taking a dumb chance. And we, we live in a world where these highlights stick with these guys for years now. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's easy for the guy sitting on his couch to say, yeah, I just would have went out of my shield. I would have gotten knocked out. Okay. But when that video clip is the only thing that's ever played when you're trying to negotiate a contract for your next fight for the next 10 years, <laughs> good, good, good luck with that. So um, I think it's kind of as the, as the, you know, popularity of the sport grows and we see all this TV now and it's everywhere. Highlights are everywhere that can lead to some of this happening from time to time. Cause you got guys that have to think of this thing as a, you know, five, six fight thing. They're not thinking about one night and they can't, we'd be making just as much fun of them. If you ran forward and got KO'd in 30 seconds into the fight. So, um, it's, it's very interesting. And I think it's something that we always see with the you know, kind of knuckleheads out there, I guess. <laughs> well, speaking of fighters who people seem to forget they thought were boring for a long time and now are back and everyone's excited, George St. Pierre, we talked about him last week and then they officially, he's, he's back. He's back and they announced he's against Michael Bisbing and I... I'm not super excited about the matchup, but at the same time, I am happy to see GSP back. I enjoy uh, watching him fight. I think he's a master. But the press conference was classic, hilarious. We'll talk about that in a bit. What do you see with this matchup? George St. Pierre, Michael Bisbing. Why? That's the only word I can think of. Why? Luckily, we get a pre- we get a press conference like you suggest. We get this. We get a little bit of heat right off the bat because otherwise, you're sitting here. The only thing I can think to ask is why, in giant all caps, bigger than the Hollywood sign kind of letters. Why? How does this happen? How does the 170 pound champion take three years off and come back fight for the 185 belt, a division he never went up to previous? In fact, you know, was rumored to be going up to all the time, seemed to want to avoid it back then when one Anderson Silva held that belt. Now it seems like he's, what, picking fights a little bit here? I don't know what it is. It's kind of the new era that we're in, these Hollywood fights that end up getting made. But uh, that's where I was left with. I, I All I could think of was why. And then we get this fire, we get this fireworks show on the weekend. Uh, what did you think? You obviously watched the press conference. I loved it. Um, I thought it was amazing. <laughs> Well, I think we'll go into the press conference when we talk about the Q rating because our Q rating for this week is one of these two guys. As for the matchup, I, I got to say, I man, I agree with you. I, it's a big old Y for me too. It, I, I think it's a great, it's a great thing that George St. Pierre is coming back. I think it's a great thing that that they considered matching him up against someone in a division higher. It's they, they, they picked the wrong guy or GSP picked the wrong guy. I understand why he'd want to come up against Michael Bisbing. You know, GSP said it himself. It's about like the stock market. And right now, no one's stock is higher than Michael Bisbing. And that's fair. And I respect that. But Anderson Silva's stock is still pretty high. He's on a win streak. Everyone's been wanting to see that fight for years. And people say, you know, before when he announced he was coming back, 
that they were going, oh, well, they're not the same as they used to be. It's not, it would have been better when they were in their prime. No one said, like, no one cared when Manny Pacquiao and Floyd Mayweather ended up fighting. No one cared about that. The, the hype took over the closer and closer you got to the fight. That's the fight that I would have wanted to see. Legend versus legend, you know? And then, then maybe they could have taken GSP and put him against Bisbang at another point. Then I would have been like, okay, we have some kind of segue into this. But as it stands now, GSP is going to go out there against Bisbang. And if he wins, which I think he has a pretty good shot, I think he does, he's going to go fight Yoel Romero? Are you kidding me? Like, that's insane. The, the guys in middleweight are a killer's row. Luke Rockhold is... He's like four inches taller than, than GSP, easily, and will take in easily probably 25 pounds over him. Yeah, Bisping will probably take in close to that even when they, when they end up fighting. These guys are huge by comparison to GSP. Oh, dude, did, did you see the press conference? Did you see them standing beside each other? Yeah. It was, I, that was the first time it's become very obvious to me, the size difference that you're talking in this fight. Because when I first saw this fight line up, I go, okay, so GSP is going to take him down for five rounds. Bisbing's going to try to slug with them. It's pretty predictable. And then I see the size and I go, maybe not so predictable. This is a this is a big man compared to GSP. I've heard GSP say he walks around about 190, yeah. 185, 190. So you're talking about a guy who's cutting no weight yeah. to a guy who's a big 185-er. He's cutting weight. He's probably 210 when at that press conference. Um, so I think it's, it's interesting because something that a lot of people say about Bisbing is he doesn't necessarily have the power. You wonder, well, does he, if he's fighting that much smaller of a man, is GSP able to take him down and use his wrestling with that kind of size differential? I, I think the matchup's, you know, fairly intriguing for a number of reasons. It's It's got all this outside stuff. We don't know, you know, where, who's GSP going to fight if he was to win, this, this, and this. There's a lot of stuff to unpack here, but I think when you really, you know, like I said, I'm glad they did the press conference because it actually got me a little bit more excited for the fight. Um, it was somewhere, you know, seeing that and obviously seeing, just seeing them, seeing them both standing there side by side, it was something that I think kind of added a little hype to the to the fight. And now you've kind of you got that metric out there at least. There's a bit more intrigue than I think most people thought there was when they saw the matchup initially. Um, and it's something you know, Bisbing's also had great success with takedown defense throughout his career, which is something you don't necessarily associate him with. So it'll be interesting for sure. And, and uh, two guys aren't known for their power, so we'll yeah. see <laughs> if it does stay standing. How does that go? So well, and the crazy thing is, admittedly, I I looked at GSP during that press conference and I thought he looks big. Like he looks as big as I've ever seen him. I, I mean, I can't, I don't have a photographic memory, but he looked big. And I was like, if this is as big as he's going to get, man, I don't know. I, I didn't think that Bisbing was going to have a huge strength and size advantage because to me, he's not, he's not a strength size guy he, at middleweight. He's, you know, he's you know, middle of the pack, so to speak. Not compared to guys like Yoa Romero and Chris Weidman and Luke Rockhold, who are just clearly athletic specimens. And then they stood beside each other, and I went like, oh my gosh. He's still bigger than him. And he's probably, you know, 12 packs of beer in at this point. He's probably got a beer gut sticking out underneath that shirt. And I was oh no. I, I'm not... I think it'll be a good matchup, but I don't think I don't see how GSP can use his old style and 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 have success against against Bisbing when they actually stand across from each other and that bell sounds. Well, so speaking of uh, twelve packs and beer guts and all the rest of this, what do you make of Michael Bisbing apparently sounding uh, apparently being quite drunk at the press conference on Saturday? <laughs> I thought it was classic. I mean, you know, a lot of people were, were – I was wondering what GSP was going to be able to use because one of the things about him coming back that was really interesting to me is that his his public relations, you know, style was always very respectful, soft-spoken. He rarely – he rarely got into it, guys, and got uh, got into it with guys or got heated – and I was thinking, like, what's he going to do? Michael Bisbing's not going to hold back. Bisbing's going to trash talk him. And, you know, even when Josh Koscheck was trash talking GSP, he largely stayed within the margins. And so the first thing he says when Bisbing shows up is like, uh, Michael, uh, are, you, are you drunk? Uh, you sound uh, pretty drunk. And I was like, that's 
funny. That's good. Because he probably is. And then Bisping owned up to it. <laughs> yeah, so speaking of, uh, in our Q rating this week, we've, we're going we're gonna to talk about Michael Bisping. So that press conference, he shows up. We've talked about all the lead up. Where do you think this leaves him in terms of his Q rating? Is it up? Is it down now? Where do you have Michael Bisping? Oh, up. Up, Mitch. Totally up because he did ex- he played to his audience. All right. Classic PR move. You play to your base. That's what Donald Trump does. It's what all the it's what all the smart PR people do. He played to his base. He said, I'm English, I'm in Las Vegas, I don't have a fight, of course I'm drunk. And it's like, yeah. Yeah, because you know, his English fans, they all went, yeah, yeah, as stereotypical a comment as that is. They are like, yeah, yeah. All the fight fans of the world who love to go to Vegas, that scene, were like, yeah, yeah. I thought it was perfect. I thought he made a great point owning up to it. And even if he wasn't, like, even if he wasn't really drunk and GSP said he was drunk, saying to everyone, yeah, I am drunk. Perfect. I thought it was brilliant. His Q rating is up for me. Couldn't agree more, man. It's definitely up. All the things you said about the weekend, him running around, having a, a drunken good time in Vegas, appeals to his fans. So I think he's kind of the, the people champ, so to speak. Regular guy. Nothing but rotten box. So uh, the other biggest thing, obviously, is his stock is up because he's got a championship fight with GSP. Um, he's going to get that payday he says he's never had. The guy says he's never fought for a million-dollar payday in his career, and he's about to get to do so. So, obviously, his stock's up in, in all accounts, in my opinion. That's the biggest fight he could possibly ask for. Yeah. Yeah. I, it, it sucks, too, because I thought GSP did a very good job as well. I thought, from a PR perspective, if, if I was a PR coach, he did exactly what I would have told him to do. Stick to the message. He, he kept repeating the thing about the stock market and all this stuff, which I think a lot of people took and ran with because he might have done it in a little, not the most, not the most graceful way of use the exact same phrasing every time, but he stuck to a message, right? And that's PR 101. The classic things about, uh, or the, the thing about McGregor's and the Bisbings, their classic style is that they stick to a narrative. They pick a narrative and they pick at it. And they keep on using that same message until, as a fan, the only way that you can visualize the matchup, the story of the fight, is through their narrative that they've given to you. So I thought that as, as much as GSP did a great job, if I were a PR person, I would have said, yeah, you did a great job. I'm happy with that. He, I hope he sticks with this. I hope he continues to basically call Bisbing out as being an unprofessional drunk and yada 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 and that's his narrative because at the end of the day that is what people don't like about michael bisping and you got to pick at that and you got to keep that message going yeah no it's absolutely true i mean at the end of the day the point of a press conference is to sell fights and get gain interest in this fight and i think there's no both of these guys came off looking great in that sense i think everybody left that press conference more excited to see the fight and at the end of the day that's all you can do is did it his way a bit different of a way gsp did it his way in the three-piece suit with his pr guy just off to the right of the stage and uh, i think at the end of the day both guys look good and it's going to end up selling more tickets which is what it's all about so yes sir all right Here's the last thing. We're going we're gonna to head out on a looking forward topic. This weekend is another UFC card. We're, we're hitting a stretch of them here, which is great. Lots of fights all the time. UFC Fight Night Brasil. Mitch, are you excited for this card? What do we got to look forward to here? You know what? Uh, it's Excited wouldn't be the right word. I barely knew it was happening. Um, but at the same time, it's you know it does have a couple of good fights on it. It's one of those sleeper cards. And I think any time the UFC goes to Brazil, it gets a little, garners a little less attention than the North American cards would. But um, yeah, I mean, when you when you look at the main card in particular, this there's a couple of good fights on there. I think um, I'm intrigued to see Kelvin Gastelum again. He's always one of these guys that's kind of right on the cusp of doing something big. So it'd be interesting to see him get in there in the main event against. Vitor Belfort, and it's always and to interesting to see a guy whose Q rating is just drops every other time he shows his face. I'm just saying. 
really. It drops, and then he wins, and it's up, and then it drops because he, whatever. Well, and that's just it. I mean, here we are saying, hey, this is a huge opportunity for him, da 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 And by the time the fight rolls around, you're you're probably right. His skew rating will be down through the, through just sitting in the basement because he just manages to stumble every time he's got a camera in front of him. It struggles to make weight. Does he even get to the cage? What's his performance look like in the cage? And it's been consistency the whole time with him. So uh, the reason this fight's intriguing is because both guys are, are in similar spots in that sense, I guess. You always wonder what Vitor Belfort you're going to get. And, you know, Kelvin's the same kind of guy in the sense that you never really know what's going to happen. So um, I think he's settled in with the weight issues now being at 185. But we'll we'll kind of see how all that goes. Um yeah, how about you? What are you looking forward to on this card? Well, first and foremost, it, I don't know why it's not the co. Well, I know I know why it's not the co-main. Shogun Hua and uh, Vellante is the co-main because who is a name and a legend and all this. But Edson Barboza and Benil Dariush, that to me is the fight of the card right there. Two real top echelon lightweights. That is a great fight and very different styles. Um, what they're strong at. They're stylistically so intriguing. Barboza is just skyrocketing. This is a guy who you want to talk about whatever's going on in the lightweight division um, uh, after, after, you know, all these last few months with McGregor and so on. Barboza is one of those guys that this win, he's right in that discussion about who might be getting the next crack. I love that fight. I think it's an amazing fight. Yeah, I definitely agree. That's it's a lot like the Khabib and Ferguson fight last week in the sense that it's, you know, kind of it's not the main event, but it probably could be. And obviously they're gonna give the Brazilian guys the the hometown bump when they're in Brazil. But I think the um that fight is definitely one that's is probably the most intriguing from a fight standpoint on the card. Yeah. Now here's another funny thing that I'm noticing about this card. Maybe it's because of all the cuts the UFC has been making or how they seem to be moving out of certain markets or lessening their impact in certain markets. But I'm looking at the lineup of fighters, and I feel like all of the Brazilians on this card are like the only Brazilians I can seem to think of that are in the UFC. It's like, I don't know. I know there's more, obviously, but I'm looking at You've got uh, Oliveira. You've got Francisco Trinaldo. Uh, Moraes, Prezeres, Hani Jason, Bechko Hair. It's like, I'm thinking, like, are these the only Brazilians that are in the UFC anymore? And they pretty much put all the name guys, or at least the ones that I recognize on this card. Yeah, well, they typically do this with Brazil. It's something I think they should do more in other places as well, but they maybe it's just the number, the volume of Brazilian fighters, but they tend to stack these cards with Brazilians when they go there. Um, and I, I agree with you outside of, obviously we talked about JDS earlier. Um, you know, I just misspoke Barbosa's even from Brazil. So really, I mean, they've got, they're featured in every fight in the card. And I think really all you're seeing is kind of like you said, the elder statesmen, the legends kind of sitting up top of the card more, more just on longevity and, and merit in terms of their overall career than necessarily the, this particular matchup on this evening. Yeah. So. It, it's definitely a, a big criticism I've had with the UFC is they seem to do a great guard booking Brazilian cards. They get Brazilians on uh, in every fight and so on and so forth. And, and yet, like, sometimes I'm going, why aren't you booking champions in their hometowns and things like that? Like Daniel Cormier should be fighting in uh, um, New Orleans or, or, you know, Demetrius Johnson should be fighting in Seattle. Like, Book these guys in their home courts. Like give their some. That's the thing is, as a viewer at home, you have no idea how popular a fighter is during a fight, other than by the reaction they get. Right? If you didn't know any better, so if you're trying to build the reputation of a fighter, you put DJ in Seattle, and the crowd seems to think he's the greatest thing of all time. As a viewer at home, even if you don't know anything about him, you're going damn like. Who is this guy is getting a lot of love. Like, he's a popular guy. I think I should pay attention. Yeah, well, when you run your business to sell pay-per-views and you're much, much, much less concerned with the <laughs> in-arena in product a lot of times, I, I think they, they numerous times the UFC does this where you see they, they're not thinking big picture with a lot of this stuff sometimes. And obviously, they know more than I do about this stuff. But I, 
I really look at a lot of those things and I think you're exactly right. Why not have hometown guys? You're starting to see it a little bit more. They went to Cleveland with Stipe. You know, they're starting to do that a little bit. You saw them bring, you know, doing press conferences in guys' hometowns a lot of times leading up, if nothing else, kind of build yeah. build the excitement in that area. But it is definitely something they need to work on moving forward because ultimately, as you know, and I think everybody knows that, like you said, that in-stadium experience is what actually hypes the fight when you're at home watching pay-per-view, that crowd being energized, the whole thing. It's more than just the building being sold out. And I think you see that sometimes in Vegas. You get the like we saw last weekend, the booze and the non-fight fans, because they're just people that happen to be in Vegas buying tickets. They're not necessarily fight fans um, or or fans of those particular fighters, right? So uh, definitely something I think they need to do more of. Well, far be it from me to criticize the UFC for how they promote their fights. They, you know, I thought that, that last year they were doing a phenomenal job of it, but then they sold. So you know, we're still trying to find out what WMEIMG is all about. I think the guys that they bought it from were doing a pretty bang up job at it when when they they left. So, uh, well, that, sorry, you were gonna say something? Oh, I was just gonna say, and there it is again, right? The balance of entertainment versus yeah. sport, and I think we're gonna keep seeing that shift. So I'm sure we'll be talking about that down the line. Yeah. Well, we were we were doing so well there, Mitch, and then you interrupted me right at the end as I was about to segue out of the show. So. I got I to gotta cut you off at least once or twice, right? <laughs> you just made the list, Mitch. Hey, I want to be on the top, buddy. <laughs> well, that was our show, episode two. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll catch you next week. I had a good time, Mitch. That was Mitch. I am Reese. That was the show. Thanks for joining us.